Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. I'm Jared St. Clair, and I am really excited to present this podcast to you because we've got four people here who've uh, never been recorded together uh, talking about their experiences with the clinical trials for the COVID-19 vaccines. We have uh, Stephanie DeGarry, who is uh, representing her daughter, Maddie. We have Augusto from Buenos Aires. Olivia, and then of course, Brianne uh, Dressen here. Uh, we are working, of course, with React 19, as we always do. Uh, if For more information on anything that you're hearing here today, you'll want to jump over to the react19.org uh, website where you can learn more about uh, these vaccine injuries. But without further ado, I want to make sure that, that you're uh, clear listening here that we have four people here, all who took part in clinical trials before the vaccines were released uh, to the general public. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with Stephanie. Uh, and uh, Stephanie, can you give us just a little bit of your story uh, with mm -hmm. Maddie and what happened during your participation in the clinical trial? All three of my kids were in the um, Pfizer trial for 12 to 15 year olds um, in Cincinnati at Cincinnati Children's. Um, Maddie had a reaction to her second dose, <clears throat> which was on January 20th of 2021. Um, and she had the the, a lot of the similar reactions. She had extreme pain, um, felt like her heart was being ripped out. Um, she had extreme nausea, extreme pain in her stomach. This all started less than 12 hours um, after the vaccine. Actually, she had an immediate reaction saying that it hurt more than the first one. Um, and then it just continued to progress to the point where she couldn't feel from her waist down, um, can't feel the urge to pee. Um, gastroparesis, she's in a wheelchair, um, she had POTS, she has POTS still, um, she has neck issues with neck control, she has an NG tube, can't eat anything, um, like swallow, um, and she now has a pick line um, to be able to get enough fluids and vitamins into her. So I'll, I'll leave it at that, and I'm sure we can talk about it more once again, her story's everywhere, so I'm yeah, Maddie has uh, certainly made the rounds. The trial that she was in was the Pfizer trial, right? Correct. Yes, okay. for 12 to 15-year-olds. Yes. All right. Just want to make sure I got that out there. And thank you for joining us today, Stephanie. We sure appreciate it. Uh, Olivia, let's jump over to you. Which trial did you participate in? Moderna. Okay. And, and when was that? Um, I had my second dose September 28th, 2020. Okay. And uh, off, off the first dose, did you have any reactions? I didn't really. Um, I was a little feverish and I felt a little um, maybe emotional, okay. but I didn't really attribute it to um, the vaccine until hindsight, you know, because I just kept saying that I, I was feeling things like I had never felt before, like wanting to take a vacation by myself. 
Um, I had never wanted to do that before. I was just feeling overwhelmed, I guess. Um, with the first dose, I did have an arm pain that didn't go away. And I was um, not able to lift my arm up completely like when undressing and stuff. So with the second dose, um, I still had, you know, a little bit of arm pain and, you know, not full range of motion. And that was it. And um, so I had what they call the normal symptoms of, you know, a couple of days of fever and, you know, um, just feeling like you're coming down with the flu. I had that. And at three days, um, I actually started to feel better. And then at day four, I woke up and I was sick all over again, like really sick. Like I knew something was wrong. I had extreme head pressure. I had a uh, stuttering, um, twitching off balance, dropping things, um, blurry eyesight, confusion, uh, not remembering how to spell my last name. Um, I just knew something was really, really wrong. How did it progress after day four? How long were you experiencing those types of symptoms? Those at the, at the worst, um, two weeks. And I would say that some of those symptoms have never completely resolved. Like my mind isn't as sharp as it was before at all. And I still have um, fatigue. I told Coastal Carolina Research, the place that um, gave me the vaccine and trial, and they were just really concerned whether or not I had COVID. You know, they brought me in and did a COVID test and mm -hmm. took some blood, um, eight vials, you know, that was it. So they really didn't help me very much. They, they gave me COVID test over a period of a week. Like they, okay. they sent home um, with me like six COVID tests and they would have a carrier pick it up. But then you tested negative for COVID. So at that point, what, what more did they try to do to figure out what was going on, if anything? Yeah, they were just, they weren't really helping me. I mean, they were just, they would ask me like how I was feeling, but they weren't offering me any help. So I went to a drop-in place, like, like a walk-in clinic and um, they sent me to the emergency room. They, they did a CT scan, but it came out okay. And I declined to have the spinal tap because they told me if I did have mild encephalitis that it could heal itself. So I just said, okay. The, the bad neurological symptoms lasted about two weeks. Um, and as they faded, I began to realize how bad my, my shoulder and my arm was and I couldn't move it anymore. And I became crooked like this. My regular doctor said, you need an MRI of your shoulder. And I told Coastal Carolina Research Center that even though they admitted that I shouldn't have got the second shot and that my arm was injured from the shot, um, that they wouldn't help me. They asked Moderna uh, three times for uh, an MRI and Moderna wouldn't help. So I had to wait months in order to be able to get one. And when I did get the MRI, it showed that I did have high grade damage um, and that it wasn't from improper needle placement. It was just from the inflammation itself that tore at my shoulder. So I believe February 4th or February 5th, 
I had my shoulder surgery and shoulder surgery is a big deal. You have to sleep sitting up for a month. You know, you have to stay in the sling for six weeks. You're never the same. My shoulder still hurts. And this shoulder hurts from overcompensation. Uh, and that was after, I mean, months of agony. I would have nerve pain all through here in my clavicle. Like something was like an ice pick was just stabbing you like every three seconds. When I did have the finally get the MRI, you know, before the shoulder surgery, they saw swollen lymph nodes on the vax arm and they decided to do a, a biopsy because in April, I ended up with swollen lymph nodes under this arm. They decided to take the one under my vax arm. Well, they went to go take one, but three were stuck together. And the surgeon said he never seen lymph nodes like this. They were like melted together and they were odd. So he took those out. They did test negative for cancer. Um, at the time. And um, after he took them out a week later, I developed a Sharoma, which is like a big fluid pocket. So my shoulder was back up crooked. I was still in physical therapy trying to recover from my shoulder surgery. And I had all this swelling under. So they had to stitch a drain. They had to stitch it to my side and stick in the tube. And it was there for 33 days. Um, wow. It hurt all the time. They also did a skin test and it came back connective tissue disorder. When the Sharoma closed and I finally got the drain out, you know, time's going on. I don't, you know, I still don't feel great. This is, yeah, this is 2021, but I come August, I get knee pain in one knee and then come September, knee pain in the other knee. And then October, uh, pain in my back. And I have these pains, these joint pains that I never had joint pain before. They sent me to a few doctors to try to figure out what that is, you know, I test negative for lupus and RA and all that. Um, they put me on hydroxychloroquine. They still don't know what's wrong, but they doubled my dose. And I actually started to feel a little bit better. Like, like, okay, you know, I don't have energy like I used to. I have this joint pain, but you know, I'm able to go shopping and I just thought things were getting better. Okay. Here we are um, a couple of months ago, you know, I was on my hydroxychloroquine. I'm still in physical therapy for my knees. Um, I did like nine months of physical therapy total for my shoulder, like before the surgery and then after. So I'm in physical therapy for my knees. I'm taking my hydroxychloroquine. I'm like, okay, you know, this is not the life I had, but it's not bad. And then um, I get another skin test and it shows T-cell lymphoma. So that's, this was just like six weeks ago. So that's where I am now. I didn't have T-cell lymphoma before, and I do now. T-cell lymphoma is a, a it's where your T-cells turn malignant. Um, and your T-cells live in your lymph nodes. Um, you have T-cells, B-cells, and NK cells. So my T-cells um, have turned cancerous. And I'm going through a lots of tests now because of that. I just had an endoscopy Friday. I had to have a uterine biopsy. I had to stop taking the hydroxychloroquine so I could start taking this drug for the T-cell lymphoma. Now it will make your hair fall out. So that's happening. There's a whole lot more that we don't know than what we do know, uh, it seems. But thank you, Olivia, for sharing your story. That's a, 
there's a lot there to unpack for sure. Um, let's move over to uh, to Bree now. And uh, Bree, of course, you've uh, been in the spotlight a little bit, so we won't take quite as long with you explaining what's gone on with you. But tell us a little bit about your trial experience. So I was a previously healthy mother of two young kids and a preschool teacher. Um, I enrolled in the United States with the clinical trial of AstraZeneca. Uh, so on November 4th, 2020, I got my one and only shot. And within an hour, I had tingling down my right arm. I ended up with blurry and double vision that night and sound had become distorted. And it sounded like I had seashells over my ears. So it was very strange. That night, I had a typical vaccine response that had resolved by morning. And then when I got up to get ready for work, my left leg was slumped and I was walking into the left doorways. At work, um, my cute little preschool voice kids, their little voices were getting louder and louder as the day went on, but it was really just my sensitivity to sound had progressed as the day had gone on. Uh, it became so severe that I had my kids parked in front of a learning channel in front of the uh, TV and had the lights off in the classroom and I was just holed up in the corner waiting for the parents to come get them. And that was the last day that I taught. Uh, after that, uh, symptoms progressed pretty rapidly over the next two and a half weeks. I ended up with severe tachycardia, bradycardia. Um, my legs started giving out. Um, I was incontinent and I landed in the hospital. My legs stopped working. Um, I had extreme te temperature fluctuations, brain fog, disassociation. And the list just goes on and on. Uh, I still am not back to work. I don't know when or if I will ever be able to go back to teaching little kids, which is what I love and what I miss. Um, I was removed from my kids' lives. Uh, we had to refinance the house and hire a nanny because the drug company would not pay uh, as they agreed to, according to our contract that I signed with the drug company. Um, so that's, that's where we're at right now. So that's me. And yours was the AstraZeneca trial. Yes. And, uh, and that, that was after just uh, one shot in, in your case, right? Yep. It was the first. And with yep. the adenoviral vector vaccines, we've learned that uh, the reaction is much more pronounced with the first injection in comparison to the second. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for sharing your uh, story. Augusto, let's work over to you. So you're uh, the only one outside of America here that we're going to be talking to, but you also took uh, part in the Pfizer uh, trial in, uh, in uh, Argentina. Tell us about your story. Yes. Uh, I was participate in the clinical trial in phase two and a half, three in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, in the military hospital. I had uh, the first shot uh, on August 19. I think that I don't have the, the papers, but uh, the, the second shot, uh, it was on September 9 on 2020, okay? Um, in the first shot, I had a little adverse effects uh, because I have a pain on my arm, um, a lot of nauseas. And when I was speaking with the pharmaceutical, she told me that, no, it's okay, it's normal, perhaps you eat uh, something that uh, affects your, your liver or your stomachate, it's normal. But they put for, uh, uh, in my medical record uh, that I have um, a several other effects uh, toxic in one level. Okay, uh, I had these symptoms in this, in this time, and when I was speaking with the pharmaceutical, the employers, they told me that, okay, it's the time for the second shot, okay? Uh, because uh, they just had a several adverse effect, but perhaps you, you are in the placebo group, 
okay? It's your mind. It's your mind that you, you should be quiet and relaxed. Okay, okay, applicate the second shot. It's not a problem. But I, I, I only want to say that I have, in this time, uh, my urine is a little dark and I have a, uh, some pain in my stomach. Aid. I have a lot of nausea. I think that it's not normal. And in my opinion, it's not, uh, how do you say, it's not uh, the food. Perhaps it's another cause, but it's okay. They, they were always angry when you, when you say, mm, I have a little symptoms. No, it's, it's your mind. Second shot, September 9, uh, 73 hours after the, the second dose, I had a lot of fever, uh, nauseous, uh, and three days after the second shot, uh, my urine was really dark. In my arm, I, I, have, I had a lot of a really big pain. I'm fighting, fighting in my, in my bathroom. My fever, it was over 40 degrees. Uh, Celsius, no? <laughs> and I lost my conscious in this time, no? Okay, uh, three days after, uh, I was admitted in the German hospital. I have a, a lot of uh, lab studies on my blood, TX uh, on, my, on my chest, okay? It's a tomography, tomography in, in español. I had a, a computer tomography, and it said that I have a, a laminar a pericardial effusion, Mm. that my doctor said that I suffer an acute pericarditis. Just we didn't know what caused uh, this an acute pericarditis. And then I, I, I made a complaint in the ATMAT, the, like the FDA in the United States. I described uh, this situation because it was really unnormal for me uh, because in the military hospital, the, the doctor said, no, it's okay, it's normal, it's a lot, little fever. All over the people have uh, in the life an acute pericarditis. Eh, th th these people are crazy. It's not normal for me. I'm healthy. Um, I discover because I'm a lawyer and I spent a lot of time to uh, to have my medical record. And we discovered that uh, the military hospital and I CRF Icon is the company. It's a big data when the Pfizer laboratory uh, describe, suppose they should describe the, the events uh, that they participate suffer you know, in the clinical trial, um, they, they put that I had uh, a COVID-19 that I was infected because my swab uh, was negative. <laughs> okay. You should understand that I had COVID-19 because my swab was negative what yeah. <laughs> it makes perfect it's, it's, sense yes it's, it's, it's impossible we discover a lot of deviations you now in the clinical trial with my case and when i was fighting with the director of the clinical trial in buenos aires the name is fernando polak uh, that i had one uh, only one uh, one communication but he put in my medical record that I have another communication with him that I didn't have. And he put that I have a, a mental illness a diagnosis. And this is the reason that caused the acute pericarditis and <laughs> the several adverse effects that I suffered in the clinical trial after the second dose. I didn't have this communication. Fernando Polak, he's an infectologist and pediatrician. It's impossible to have th this diagnosis we have in, 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 in the clinical trial a person, a man, 
that died with a heart attack, okay, I have the record of this conversation that is really important to say, they didn't register any death in the clinical trial. What happened with this death? What happened? We, we, we I have a communication, a record a communication uh, for Diego Wapner that say, uh, we have a death in a clinical trial. It's, it's, it was a man in the same hospital where you stay. And where's this dead? Because they didn't, they didn't register in the ADMAT and they didn't register in the clinical trial because today uh, I was reading all over the papers that present uh, the, the, the pharmaceutical to the FDA and I can't read uh, about this dead. What happened? Where is this dead? In my opinion, they altered the result uh, of the trial in clinical, in clinical sorry, they, they altered the results the trial in phase three in Argentina, uh, we should open an investigation, a big investigation, but where is, is impossible to know because my president subscribed a contract with uh, this pharmaceutical and it's secret. We didn't know what law uh, we should applicate if the Argentina's law or, or the United States law, but I think that in my opinion, because I'm a lawyer uh, for the United States legislation, and we should open an investigation in the United States because we need uh, the authorities need to explain this situation. It's, it's really hard. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. So it's interesting to me, and, and maybe it shouldn't be, I guess, but uh, so far up until you, Augusto, I've only spoken to people here in the U.S. Uh, who have been injured, and yet your story um, while having some unique caveats based on the fact, uh, you know, that you're not in the U.S., it sure sounds familiar, uh, missing uh, information and getting a whole lot of runaround. And I want to ask the, the rest of the three here, um, have, have any of you also heard that uh, mental illness uh, diagnosis from any of your healthcare providers? Stephanie, let's start with you. Okay. Um, so yes, with Maddie, um, they, so she never had a diagnosis of any mental illness. They put anxiety into her charts. And this was with a psychologist that met with her twice. He wasn't even that he's like a nurse. I forget what type, but like not an actual doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, and this person had only been with Cincinnati children's for like a couple months. His past was working in clinical trials. And in his notes, he said he collaborated with the principal investigator of the Pfizer trial who worked for Cincinnati Children's. He literally put in his notes. I have it. Um, he diagnosed her with anxiety in March. So that would have been two months after she had her vaccine. And then they put um, functional neurologic disorder. So it's all in your head. Um, on April 8th, 2021, which was one day, one day before when they submitted the EUA. Hmm. So I tried to get the FND and the anxiety taken off of Maddie's records. December of um, 2021, that um, psychiatrist who diagnosed her after two virtual visits, no longer works for Cincinnati Children's. He works for an affiliate, but they're still, it's not the same company. And they told me they were unable to get into her chart to his notes to change it. That's familiar to you. How about you, Bree? Did anybody tell you that you were crazy? 
<laughs> besides anybody me. or who didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So when I was admitted to the hospital, when my legs weren't working, I walked away with a diagnosis of anxiety due to the COVID vaccine. So I was sent home with intensive in-home physical therapy and occupational therapy because of anxiety due to the COVID vaccine. I'm one of the very few lucky ones that have been able to get appropriate diagnoses. I got that from the National Institutes of Health and they diagnosed me with post-vaccine neuropathy instead of anxiety. Okay. But the test clinic stopped tracking my data. So the test clinic actually doesn't have my appropriate diagnoses on file. Okay. How about you, Olivia? Did anybody uh, diagnose you with any type of a mental health issue based on your symptoms? Uh, Not to my face. But um, <laughs> it's a but good thing too. I was looking through my um, hospital records of that ER visit that I had um, when I was, you know, having the confusion and stuff. And it, and it says in there, um, major depressive, depressive disorder. It says that in there, but I've never seen a psychiatrist ever. So that just ended up in your chart. Yeah. Out of who knows where, chart. huh? Okay. All right. I'm going to ask another question that's kind of universal here. As far as the response from the actual uh, company or hospital uh, that was running the trial, um, what uh, what type of, um, I, I don't know, for lack of a better term, I'll say support was actually offered to you uh, once you experienced your injury? And, and did they, did they, admit uh, that the vaccine had anything to do with this uh, initially? So the test clinic actually told me several times that they believe me um, and they, yeah. So the test clinic believed me, whether or not that translated into the report from the drug company has yet to be seen because I can't find myself in there. Um, Let's let's talk about that really quick. You can't find yourself in the trial that you you're just not there in the AstraZeneca trial results. Right. right? My list of 40, my list of 40 symptoms is not there. Okay. I'm not there. Hmm. Like, it's just obvious by looking at it. Like I, the first thing I did was it's like, Oh, let's go figure this out. Let's see what else they found. Am I one of a kind? No. Cause I'm not even in there. So, um, and they, they said that they tracked all clinical trial participants that had severe adverse events for 730 days. Yeah. I would, um, you know, qualify as landing in the hospital due to my adverse event. I was unblinded and I was dropped from the trial. They deleted my access to the tracking app because I couldn't get the second dose. So in the clinical trial, they said they tracked people for 730 days. They obviously did not track me for 730 days. And, um, because I was dropped from the trial, you know, they, they kind of had a convenient little loophole to not have to track any further data. And so if you think about it, that's, you know, 15, 16 months of critical safety data that's not out there. So, you know, at the beginning, I thought I was participating in, you know, the scientific process. I was actively engaged. I thought I was doing my part and, but in the end, like, what was the point? My life has been ruined and um, the drug company buried it. So. So then when we hear routinely that these are safe and effective, it's really they're safe for the people that they're safe for. And the rest of the people we're just going to brush under the rug. Well, I don't want to say that because I don't want to get sued, but. (laughs) Well, 
I'll say it. All right. So it sounds like to me that that's uh, that's that safety question is uh, still up for grabs. Um, Olivia, what was the response from the uh, the group that uh, was conducting the trial where you did yours? I've never even attempted to reach out to Moderna. Um, Coastal Carolina Research Center is just like the middleman. Um Mm -hmm. I haven't asked Moderna for anything since I asked them for an MRI and they didn't supply it. And I made a couple of VAERS reports and never heard anything back. So you haven't heard from any government entity? No. Okay. And my, my adverse reaction wasn't in the report submitted to the FDA for emergency use. It wasn't in there. They had a couple of little things listed, like somebody came down with RA that was in there, but my my event wasn't in there. And someone at Coastal Carolina Research Center, another participant had a stroke in the Moderna trial and it wasn't listed in there either. A nurse told me, I mean, I don't have a proof or anything. I just know that she told me. And Stephanie, uh, what, what kind of response did you receive from Cincinnati Children's and, and from any government entities so- or Pfizer? I'll start off with like, you know, how they compensated, um, like with all these medical expenses. So our insurance covered a lot of it. Um, after Maddie was in the hospital for a month and a half, um, in from April to June, the, um, Cincinnati children's had us fill out paperwork, um, to get Medicaid long-term care through Ohio. So we got approved for that because Maddie's disabled. We even have a handicap. I mean, like she is. So yeah. it went through. They never talked to me, never interviewed me. The government didn't. The day just approved it. That's not what they said would happen. Anyways, that was in April of 2021. We had a bunch of bills from January to April that were open and they still were. They would call me every day um, about this bill, like harass me. So we had a lawyer involved and they repeatedly sent um, emails to them about this. And we just now, I think it was in eight. Uh, let me, I think it was just now in April of this year, they took those bills off of um, her record because we refused to pay them. Um, so we were told to go to children specifically because they'd be able to access the charts and they'd be able to compensate us for any medical expenses. So they've paid for, for that, either Ohio, the state, um, Medicaid, or um, our insurance, except for like a bunch of, I mean, there's a lot of other expenses that you incur, but you know, that's sure. how it was. Pfizer did nothing. Um, we also filed a VAERS report. Nobody reached out to us. Um, on the, um, the trial, whenever the EUA came out, Maddie was listed in there as functional abdominal pain. And the, Brie, I always forget what it is. The pins and needles. Neuropathy. Neuropathy. Paresthesias. Paresthesias. That. Oh, okay. That's all they had in there. Um, I did have one call with the FDA. And it was just recently that I had it. And I asked, I told her story. They've heard it 5 billion times from right. Bree, from our lawyers, um, <laughs> from Bree's husband, from other people. Like, not, like so many people have like told her story, like people that talk to me, they know it intimately, ask permission. Anyways, um, when I asked them, I said, what? I just want to know what was reported. They said, we'll get back to you. That was in March. And I've heard nothing. So Pfizer has never called us. 
whenever we go in now, after Maddie had her reaction, whenever we go in for like the follow-up appointments, first of all, almost everybody else is done virtually. We get to go in, all three kids, and we're the only ones there. The first time after she had a reaction, they took us to the other side of the hospital. Mm. When a bunch of other participants were in the participants, they immediately took us to the other side of the hospital. And the kids are like, this isn't where we usually go. They're like, what's going on? Yeah. So that's been our interaction. Okay. So the the drug companies across the board, it sounds like have done nothing or virtually nothing uh, for any of you. Uh, And uh, the government agencies have maybe had conversations, but there really hasn't been much of anything that's come of any of those. It sounds like. Um, So then the next question I have would be, and, and this is just kind of a general question for anybody that wants to answer it with the, the vaccine trials, I mean, my understanding of a, of a clinical trial for a medicine, regardless of whether it's a vaccine or a, or a new uh, medicine that the FDA is wanting to approve or whatever it is, the whole idea behind those, I thought, was to determine if A, it's safe and B, if it's effective. Um, it seems to me that any data that showed a lack of safety to a large degree has either been ignored or brushed under the rug, pushed aside. And then we were told as, as consumers that hadn't taken part in the trial that, yeah, these vaccines uh, have sailed through the process of safety testing and uh, they've uh, proven to be highly effective. We had 90 plus percent uh, effectiveness ratings that were being published all over the news. And yet it seems like at least in this particular trial, these trials, um, that doesn't seem like that's what we ended up with at all was a safe and effective uh, or evidence of safety and effectiveness. We just ended up with what to me appears like propaganda saying that they were safe and effective without the evidence. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? If anybody wants to chime in. One thing with the trials, at least, and and Augusto can comment because I'm curious with him with the Pfizer trial. They don't, so there's an app, Bria mentioned an app for AstraZeneca as well. There's an app where you fill out information. It's very constrained. There's only certain information that you can fill out. Like, is your arm swollen? How swollen is it? It, Do you have a fever? What's your fever? And are you nauseous? And is it like, is it, is it like three different levels? Just, I forget what it is, but one, two or three. And did it require you to go to the ER hospitalization? Okay. So the symptoms that are in there are the ones that you'll find that they disclose like could be possible symptoms. Basically they're COVID symptoms, muscle aches and pains, nothing like the things that are actually happening. Okay. So if anything happens outside of that, there's no way to document it through that app. You can't email, you can email, but it doesn't matter. You have to call a number that they give you for Pfizer. Like it's, there's literally a number to call to say, Hey, I'm having these symptoms or through your appointments. So, so that's number one. So after those, and those are, it's for like a week, uh, it's either a week or two weeks after your each dose. After that, all they're doing is basically asking, do you have any COVID symptoms, new or worsening? And have you tested positive for COVID? That is all that's being recorded through the app. And they pay you five bucks every time you fill it out. Um, 
And my kids forget because they, I mean, it's, it's just, it's stupid. Like, do you have COVID every week? That's all they're asking. That's all they care hmm. about. So. So in other words, what you're saying is the majority of the th- issues that Maddie has experienced can't be reported officially inside of the trial nope. as far as the app and everything nope. anyway, right? No. Nope. Okay. So I emailed um, the principal investigator just because I figured he should know that Maddie's still in a wheelchair, um, still can't swallow, still suffering. I documented everything that's going on and shared the NIH study that came out that Bree was in, um, which, by the way, he's well aware that um, the, her neurologist talked to the um, NIH, Bree connected us. He had thought that he reached out. I'm like, no, I connected him because somebody else was being treated by them. Mm -hmm. So I sent him that study. I said, maybe you'll be interested in this. I mean, I know he already knows about it, but I wanted a way to be able to document. She's still having these symptoms since you're not asking because he's not asking. Right. They're not looking for any of these long-term symptoms at all. So I want to, I'm going to ask one other question. Uh, that I'd like each of you to answer, please. And we'll go ahead and start with Augusto and work our way uh, back. But um, the question is, what is it that you would like anybody listening to this or watching this uh, to understand based on your experience? What, what is it that has you speaking to me right now and, and telling your story? Uh, uh, that we can't trust with the Pfizer pharmaceutical. Uh, in my opinion, they are criminals, people. Uh, in my country, the government covered up uh, this clinical trial because I made a complaint. You should understand that. I made a complaint in the ATMAT in Argentina. FDA, CDC, NIHS in the United States, Office of, of Inspector General. I made a complaint on, December, in, on March 2021. I made a complaint in Dosh. A criminal Division, Department of Justice, on December 2020. I was the first person that made the complaints. I, I, I made a complaint in buyers also, but uh, nobody, nobody here to me. Uh, they ignored to me my case, my proof, my evidence. I'm lawyer. I can write uh, a complaint uh, and cite all over the rules, the, my rights, and the evidence. I. Uh, I know uh, how is the system now uh, and how can prove uh, my case, but it was impossible for me. My my last uh, conclusion that they altered the, the results, the trial in phase three, just only for uh, win a lot of money. No, uh, this is my last con- conclusion because I can't understand how it's possible to leave uh, this situation. But I, I have. A big hope. In my country, I, I received a lot of help of uh, the oppos- one opposition party. It's a coalition civica in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I had the support of one parliamentary in Argentina. That his name is uh, Ruben Horacio Mansi. If uh, if I could not uh, have his help, uh, we could not discover this big case in Argentina. That's it's so hard and we should investigate in the United States because if we, if we, if we can't investigate uh, this case in Argentina with American justice, no support, I think that our future 
will be really 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 bad for the health uh, for the health people i think that because this is a vaccine no but we should think that the fda approve a lot of drugs and clinical trials mm -hmm. it's not the only one clinical trial that the fda have in their hands okay and we should open an investigation and i want to testify in the american justice in the american court um, in the Senate of the United States, because I have the proof and I have the evidence that this was a really big crime that they did in my country and in the worldwide. I think that because I think that, in my opinion, is it was not in Argentina. Also, this was very much a worldwide uh, situation, and it's good to have you on too. Like I said, because we have only spoken so far to. Americans that have undertaken it. And I think it's important to understand that this kind of thing was happening all over the world. Uh, Olivia, what is it that you'd like to uh, leave people with in terms of your thoughts on, you know, why you decided to speak out about this and uh, what people need to be thinking about? Um, I decided to speak out because I don't want, I didn't want people to suffer the same fate that I did. Um, I just want people to know that this is really true. Um, the shots are really bad. I believe they, they're all bad. Um, it's a lot of strange things going on in the world now. Um, I don't know. I would just want people to know that, you know, these so-called vaccines aren't any good at all. And we need to hold everyone who's involved in, in, in forcing people to get these things accountable. I, I love that you use the word force there because the, the mandating of these things has been one of the biggest concerns and, and still is, is a potential concern uh, in a lot of places, uh, making these potentially mandatory as they, as they have. Uh, uh, Bree, what would you like to leave people with? I obviously, I want people to know that, you know, this is real, just like Olivia said. Uh, I also want people to understand that when, when they look at this from the outside in, um, I would like to ask people instead of meeting us with judgment, that they meet us with compassion and understanding. But I'm going to let Steph go for a second. What do you got for us, Stephanie? I guess the one thing I just, for, I wish I would have known is that if something happens to your child, and I'll speak from a child's standpoint, you are on your own and it is a very difficult battle. Doctors won't believe you. You won't be able to talk about it at schools. You won't, like, you will be helpless and it will affect your entire family, everything. Like it changes your life. And I know that there's going to be some positive that comes out of this, but it's really hard. Like, and it's hard to get help. And just imagine being a parent and not being able to help your kid. Like, nobody gets it. I don't talk to any friends anymore. My friends are injured people. My daughter's friends are injured adults and kids. Like, you're, you, that's all you can depend on. Like, nobody else is really helping me. People have help monetarily, but from an emotional standpoint, there's no help. And, 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 and from you know a medical standpoint for your kids, 
Like people are going bankrupt. People are committing suicide. Like it's just not, I mean, it's, I just wish if anybody sees this and they, they thought differently that they, the next person they hear that says their child or they had a reaction or if they notice something, like if you are somebody that somebody's saying, hey, I had these issues that we need to ask, hey, did you get the vaccine? Because it could have been from it because people don't realize it. I don't know. There isn't enough. I feel like our world, like Priya just said, is becoming very evil. I do. There's a, a significant lack of compassion. I think that that's absolutely been made apparent. And what's interesting too, you know, Bree, I was just watching uh, what you said at the Senator Ron Johnson hearing, uh, you know, way back when. And uh, it was really interesting to me because I think maybe one of the most profound things that you said was if you get COVID-19, there is help and support. But if you get the COVID-19 vaccine and get injured, there is no help and support. You're on your own. And what's interesting is if you think about debilitating illness that people experience, whether it be a, a you know cancer or autoimmune disease or uh, any number of uh, you know neurological disorders, um, Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that, there is help and there's support and there's understanding and there's love and there's fundraisers and there's all these things that are available to that group. And what I hope to accomplish with this particular podcast is to at least open up people's eyes to the possibility that this particular group of people uh, who have been injured and or killed uh, as a result of these vaccines, they need that level of compassion and love and support as well, uh, rather than judgment and, uh, I don't know, disassociation that seems to happen uh, a lot with people that find themselves in your shoes. So anyway, that's me uh, up on my soapbox. Thank you so much for joining us, each of you. Uh, Stephanie, Olivia, Bree, Augusto, I appreciate you all and uh, hope to speak with each of you again uh, very soon. And for you listening again, share this podcast, share this information. Uh, let's get the word out and let's all join Team Humanity and uh, reach out and help. If you have more questions about what you've heard, jump over to react19.org. That's react. 19.org. Uh, if you're interested in uh, financially supporting, uh, you can do that there. You can also learn much more about what's happened uh, with uh, people that have been injured uh, during this uh, COVID-19 mass vaccination that's happened. And with that, I will say uh, goodbye to all. Thank you so much for joining us on the Dearly Discarded podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything. 
React 19 needs your support. We're a grassroots nonprofit created by the COVID vaccine injured for the COVID vaccine injured. React 19 provides physical support through scientific research and physician referrals, financial support to those most in need for uncovered medical expenses, and emotional support by growing a community that's focused on compassionate advocacy, hope, fellowship, and improving lives. We can only do these things with your support. Your donation is tax deductible, and any amount is greatly appreciated. You can also sign up for automatic monthly donations. The vaccine injured have been marginalized, censored, and discarded, but they have not been broken. Help them rise to the challenge today. Visit react19.org for more information, or simply text the word REACT to 50155 and donate via text. 